So we're talking about the ways of God in the book of Romans, and I feel, I've said it before, I'll say it again throughout the year, I'm sure, I believe this is something the Lord is speaking to the church. Not only do we need to know uh, doctrine, we need to know what the word teaches us, but we also need to know how to walk in his ways. God has ways of doing things. All of us have ways of doing things. How many of you know that? There are the ways of Joe, there are the ways of Janice, there's the ways of Michael Feldman. And hopefully, most of the time, our ways conform to the ways of God, the way that we do business, the way we treat people, the way that we interact with people, the way we deal with conflict. One of the ways of God that I think is so powerful is having an unoffendable heart, not being offended and being willing to forgive even those that have hurt us. That's a, that's a hard place to be, but that's one of the most important ways of God. There are many Christians that know doctrine, they know biblical truth, they can pass the Bible knowledge test, but they're not walking in the ways of God. We need the Word of God, we need the power of the Spirit, but we also need to learn to walk in God's ways. And I don't think the world is going to pay attention to us until they see us looking like Jesus. There's a confusion in our world today. There's a confusion over what is good and what is evil, what is true and what is false. And Romans tells us, love must be sincere, hate evil, and cling to what is good. So let's take a look at the uh, scripture here and remember the context as we talk about the theme of the ways of God, because Paul introduces the context in Romans 12, 1 and 2, when he says this, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you know that the world has a pattern? He's not talking about the people. He's talking about the world system of thinking and doing the way that we look at life. Most of the world system in the United States doesn't involve God at all. As a matter of fact, if you look at uh, movies coming out of Hollywood, how, how many of you have seen a movie out of Hollywood where there's a balanced Christian that's handling life and the way that Jesus calls us to walk? We all know that Christians are wacky people that are, are haters, and uh, you can go down all the way down the list. None of that's true. There are hostile systems of thought out there. The world wants to press people into its mold. The world wants to convince people that certain things are of value and certain things are not of value. And unless you are standing strongly and firmly in the truth of God, you will be taken out. So we need to no longer conform to the thinking and behavior. I've looked at this in so many different versions. Both those things come out. We can't conform to the thinking or behavior of the world, but we need to be transformed. What does transform mean? It means to be formed again by the power of God. We need to be transformed by his power to think with his thoughts, to see with his eyes, and to know with his heart. Can I tell you right now that all the computers of the world, I don't care how much information, and we live in the information age, don't we? Isn't that what most sociologists call this or historians call this time that we're in? We have all this information, but we really don't seem very much smarter because of it, do we? Because a lot of the information out there is worthless. I want to tell you that God's perspective is the perspective that we need to have. He sees things from a different perspective. 
We see the nations fighting wars and rumors of wars. And the Lord says, why do the nations rage and the kings of the earth imagine a vain thing? That they can overthrow my plan and purpose for all the world. Think about that. And by the way, God doesn't hate the world. He loves the world. What does it say in John 3.16? For God so loved the world. He's talking about people that are in rebellion against him. We're going to find out today as we talk about love and hate, there is nowhere in Scripture that God hates a human being. Now, some of you are saying, there's some I hate, and I can't figure out why God doesn't hate them. Well, if you're hating human beings, I hope before you leave today, you can let go of that, and you can realize God doesn't want us to hate that way, okay? So we are learning not to conform to the pattern of the world, to be renewed in our minds, and we're rejecting the ways of man and adopting the ways of God. Verses 3 through 8 tell us to see ourselves in humility. And we, we went through this when we talked about the gifts of the Spirit. He says, don't look at yourselves with eyes of pride, but what you need to do is you need to see yourselves in the light of God's truth with a, a clear understanding of who you are in Christ. And then you need to roll up your sleeves and learn to find out where you fit in the body of Christ. Find the gifts that you have and serve. Well, we're going to pick up now. We're going to go down further in Romans verses 9 and 10. It says, since sincere love discerns between good and evil. Let's read Romans 12, 9 and 10. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourselves. Paul connects the concept of God's love and the love that he wants us to have with one another to the idea of clinging to what is good and hating what is evil. So I want to ask you a question. Can you truly love if you don't discriminate between good and evil? Thank you. You can't. You have to make a decision. Love discriminates. Love says, this is the one that I want. Love says, this is true. It's so clear in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not self-seeking. We know this. We've heard this at every wedding we've been to, right? It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, love is unoffendable. Then he says this, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. True love cannot delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. The Bible clearly connects the concept of God's love and truth and connects the concept of goodness and clinging to what is good and brotherly love that he wants us to have for one another. We need to be rooted in God's truth and we need to cling to what is good. So there are undoubtedly in the world many definitions for love. One prevailing cultural definition says love cannot judge or discriminate. Love should never discriminate between what is right or wrong, because if you do that, then you're not loving. The only problem is, if you really think through that definition, there's one person it discriminates against, and that's God. Because what it's saying is, if you believe in any absolute truths, if you believe in good and evil, then you're not really loving. Can I tell you why our country is in such a problem today? There are a lot of our people in America, especially people in government, that don't believe in a biblical standard of what evil is to start with. They don't understand good and evil. And I've even had people say that to me. I don't believe. I actually had a, an official say to me, I don't believe in good and evil. I believe that there are people with right intentions, wrong intentions, but there is no good and evil. 
Folks, if you don't have an understanding of good and evil, I'd say some people are making some bad decisions out there, wouldn't you? And that's why we continually, as a government, are getting in trouble in, with other nations and the international sphere, because many people don't believe in evil at all. If you go back a couple generations to my parents' generation, Janice's dad, who was um, in World War II, and all of our parents' um, Janice and I were involved in one way or another in World War II. And uh, you look at that, her dad spent time in a Nazi POW camp. I imagine if you told him that there was no evil after being under the Nazi regime in Germany, after being shot down over Berlin, he probably would have socked you in the nose. And rightfully so. People that go around killing other people are evil. And folks, we've been deceived. I'm going to take a little bit of a side here. I was meeting with, uh, this was years ago, a group of high school students right after the turn of the millennium, and I said, who was your, who was your favorite, uh, or who do you think was one of the greatest people of the 20th century? More than half of them said, Joseph Stalin. And I asked them, I felt the Holy Spirit check me in my heart and say, don't react, find out who taught them this and why. Most of them were from one school system here in the Akron area. They had a teacher that taught them this. They said Joseph Stalin was very courageous and was able to take a bunch of different nations and bring them together into one empire. Okay? Well, I'm a little bit offended by that. I have to tell you that. No, I'm, I'm serious. In our family, Janice's family comes from the Ukraine. And um, six million Ukrainians were starved to death by Joseph Stalin. Hello? Over 127 million, by my count, people were killed by communist dictators in the 20th century. And yet, some of us have, you can't tell me that that's not evil. I don't agree with your politics, so we're going to, the Ukrainians produced some of the greatest record amounts of grain. And Joseph Stalin went in and they took all the grain, they left nothing for the people to eat, and they, they literally stole their food and let them starve. So we need to be very careful because there are agendas today, and I got off a little bit on a tangent, but that's okay. Uh, we're going to follow where the Lord wants us to go. So the real question for us as followers of Jesus is how does God define the words evil and good? The world may not have a concept of what is good and evil like ours. The word of God is clear. Love discriminates between good and evil. The word, how does the world we live in define good and evil? It's a lot different than from what we think. Many postmodern, non-Christian Americans don't have a strongly defined idea of what they believe. More traditional people still have a vague sense of right and wrong based on the Bible and traditional Western value. They still believe in marriage, for instance, traditional marriage, but they don't want to be hateful, so they don't speak up. They know things like stealing and murder and lying, etc. are wrong, but they are not exactly sure why. On the other hand, people who describe themselves as progressive have a more defined sense of right and wrong based on the new spirit of this age. These people may say they believe in God or not. If they believe in God, he is a God who reflects their value and not the God of the Bible. My prayer all week has been, Lord, help, help me not to offend anybody this morning. I don't want to offend anybody. But sometimes God's word can be offensive. I don't apologize for that. 
If God's word offends us, then we need to align to what God is saying or there are consequences. He's the only one that can say that because he's God. If I offend you, I'll apologize. But I want you to look. We're going to look at a sign, and this sign has been put out by a marketing organization that wants to, uh, it's called Main Street Alliance, and I want you to see if you can agree with this sign because this sign to me kind of illustrates where we as Christians are in the world today. And uh, I want to take a look at that. This, imagine you go to your coffee shop on Monday morning, and you have hate has no business here. And this is a uh, national uh, referendum, by the way. This is a group out of the Northwest that are selling this and trying to get retailers uh, to put these up in front of their businesses. And it says, we respect women, we value black lives, we stand with our LGBT community members, we stand with immigrants and refugees and people of all faiths, we stand with our community. And uh, down below, if you read the rest of the sign, it says, we welcome all. But the problem is, this sign creates a little bit of tension in my heart and in my spirit. How many of you would say this sign makes you a little bit uncomfortable? And yet, as I look at this, I can agree with a lot of things on the sign. So we're going to take a look at this. Can we parse this sign and look a little bit about the, what the Word of God says? And I want to speak very honestly and openly to you this morning, because I believe the church needs to be helping people understand how we fit into the world and what our role is in this particular time we're in. We need to learn how to speak truth and know why we understand the truth the way we understand it. Does that make sense? So let's take a look at this. Now, there are five key core values of the new morality, and I'm not the only one that has said this. Other people have come up with similar lists, but these are some of the core values of what is called progressivism and the age in which we live. And let me read them to you. Climate change is one of the, if not the greatest issues of this age. All who disagree should be censored. I believe right now there are three initiatives in government and various levels of government that are trying to criminalize, criminalize anybody that does not believe in climate change. Did you know that? Okay, number two, gender is fluid and self-determined. Each person should determine their own gender and are allowed to change their gender. Transgender surgery and therapy should be paid for by all health insurance. Respect each person's gender and use their gender pronoun of choice. There are now in New York City officially recognized 31 different genders. You can actually be fined for not using the right gender if you dishonor somebody's gender in New York City. Did you know that? Yeah, wow. And, and stay with me. Now, this is where some of you can say, I'm going to be offended and I'm going to leave. Folks, I've got to tell you, you can watch the other side on the news every day. But stay with me and listen, and at least give me a chance here, because you may think you know where I'm going, but I don't think you do. Okay? Number three, abortion is a fundamental right of women. To deny abortion to women is to take away a fundamental human right. And for many people, this is one of the greatest human rights that are out there. If you take away the right of abortion, you're causing women to suffer economic hardship. And that's where this movement is. Number four, gay marriage is a fundamental human right. To publicly oppose gay marriage is hateful and should be criminalized. So automatically, if you believe that marriage is one man and one woman, the way the Bible says it, you're a hater. And there's no room for you in the cafe. Okay? 
Number five, globalism, a world without borders, is the only responsible position of an open-minded person. To limit immigration anyway is to hate and make a person a racist. This view, by the way, was just espoused by the Prime Minister of Canada, who claimed that Canada is the first post-national entity in the world and that they are basically saying that borders uh, need to be erased altogether. These are world leaders that are saying this, okay? Let's go back to the sign for a second. First of all, let's talk about how Christians should look at that sign, okay? First of all, God does not hate any person. He loves all people. Let's get that straight right from the start. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict, and this is a very important statement. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. God loves every person born into this world. It doesn't matter if they are gay, it doesn't matter if they are transgendered, it doesn't matter if they are Muslim, Buddhist, Christian, atheist, God loves them. They are made in his image. Something that sets Christians or should set Christians apart from every other person is we don't demonize our enemies. We demonize Satan because he deserves it. He's the enemy. People are not our enemy. Because God loves everyone, what are we supposed to do? You may have a hard time with someone else's lifestyle, but I want to tell you right now, if you are walking in the ways of God, we are called to love every person, irrespective of what they believe, to treat them with dignity and respect, and to honor them and to listen to them, even if we disagree with them. Because I think that's what Jesus would do. That's what he did do. If we don't go any further and we just say that, that's a good place to be. Because there are a lot of isms, there are a lot of beliefs in the world today that say, if you don't agree with me, you don't have any right to exist in the marketplace, and I'm going to do all I can to eliminate you and your voice. I say I'm not out to eliminate anybody's voice. I'm out to lovingly. And by the way, when people don't agree with the gospel, we kill them, right? There have been errant religious people that have done that over the years. Nothing like the communists I told you about in the 20th century. But yeah, religion can be a force for evil, but I want to tell you that that's not what Jesus taught and that's not what Jesus said. Our church two years ago adopted a statement that John Perkins and his church and a number of other churches have signed on to that says we recognize that there is never a moment in time where we should kill anyone in the name of God. I think it's a good statement. If you read the statement, it's actually pages long. We've got it, I think, on our website, or we should if it's not there. Now, a lot of religious people out there in the world today can't say that because they're convinced that if they kill in the name of their God, they're doing their God a favor. And Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 24, he says that a day is coming when people will kill you and think they're doing God a favor. He's saying that to his disciples. They'll think they're doing the right thing by eliminating you. That's what Jesus prophesied. You want to talk about all the prophets, he's the most reliable. So that word 
It's pretty amazing. Don't confuse God's love and his approval. This is huge. Don't confuse God's love and his approval. If you tell me that I have to approve of everything you do if I'm going to love you, imagine what kind of parent I would be if I did that with my kids. Okay, honey, you're right. I think you should just drink maple syrup for breakfast. You don't need any protein and you don't need any vegetables. I'm sorry I tried to push vegetables on you. Go ahead and eat the cocoa puffs. That is a very immature position right now that is being espoused by a lot of people in the marketplace. True tolerance says, I can sit down with people that don't agree with me, have a cup of coffee with them, listen to them, hear their heart, and try to persuade them and walk away and still fight for their right to have a voice in the marketplace. If you want to know what's made America great, it's that. When I was at Kent State many years ago, we had some of the most amazing debates. We sat down with the socialists. We sat down with the RSB, the communists. We sat down with every, just about every group on campus, and we talked about things. And I came away better by talking with people and listening to people that disagreed with me because it sharpened what I believed, and I came away with an open mind saying, I, I might not know everything, and I can learn even from people that are different than me but I certainly don't feel like I have a need to eliminate them from the marketplace because they disagree with me. This is a spirit of antichrist that is operating in our country right now. I wanna, if you want to know, you're fighting a spiritual battle. And that's what's happening behind us. If you don't agree with me, you can't come into my coffee shop. If you don't agree with me, I'm going to do everything I can to eliminate you. We need to love everyone born in this world, but that doesn't mean we have to agree with everyone or approve of their lifestyle. God gives us free will. As Christians, we do what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says. We appeal to you as ambassadors of the kingdom of God to listen to what Jesus says. But if you don't agree with us, God has given you free will, and you can live however you want as long as you don't break the law. And the day will come when you're going to stand before God and you'll give an account of your life and hopefully you will listen to what I have to say because I know the Savior and I know that I have eternal life in Him. But God gives free will to everybody. Think about that. We respect people's free will to disagree with us and with God, but we ask for the same freedom to speak truth and love. How many of you notice that there's a war right now against Christianity? I was in a meeting uh, this past week um, with a group of rabbis and pastors and Jewish and Christian leaders that are very concerned about the desire. There's, there is an anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, anti-Christian bent to a lot of stuff that's happening right now, especially at the UN. The UN right now has a number of initiatives that are talking about making it illegal to say anything bad about Islam, but they have passed more things about Judaism, Israel, and Christianity, and they won't do anything about other religious groups. Why are they favoring the Muslims? Because that's the spirit that's operating in the UN. It's an intolerant spirit that says, you don't agree with me, we're going to wipe you out. People say, you're being tough on the Muslims here. I know there are lots of wonderful Muslims, 
that aren't that way. But I also know that if you look at the over 40 Muslim countries that are out there, most of them don't allow women even the right to drive or be alone in a public square or go to school. The women of Afghanistan have had to fight to go to school because of the medieval view of that. And then I have people telling me, well, Islam is a religion of peace and everything. That may be fine in your world, okay? But I'm looking at the nations that are out there. If I travel to Saudi Arabia, I can't bring a Bible in the country. They don't allow it, even though their Quran says that people of the book talk about Jesus and, and they affirm the Bible, the New Testament, and the Old Testament. But in Saudi Arabia, you can't bring the book in the country. So when our president, uh, George W. Bush, met with troops, when we uh, this is years ago when he was the president, they actually made him have a Thanksgiving service offshore an American ship. They would not allow them to do it on Saudi Arabian soil. That's not tolerance, folks. I know I'm saying some really tough things here, but it's time for us to wake up. We need to say the truth and look at the truth with open eyes and love everybody at the same time. Is that a hard place to be? I'm telling you, when Jesus hung on the cross and he looked at people and he says, Father, I, I want you to forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. They don't see. They're blind. They don't understand. And I love them. And I know that you love them. That's the spirit of Christianity. And it's a tough place that God has called us to be in in this season to speak love and to speak truth at the same time. Let's take a look at that sign again. I'm going to go back and look at this. How many of you respect women? I can, I'm fine with that. I'm in the cafe right now. Some of my favorite people are women. Galatians 3:26, and I'm sure that David Ekman is going to, well, he, I'm not sure he's going to say it, but he says it in his book, Becoming Who God Intended. He said in Galatians 3.26, Paul is using some very interesting language here. He says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for you were all baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, kind of bother me. Why does he say you're all sons? Why doesn't he say you're all sons and daughters? Or why doesn't he say you're all children here? It's interesting. And this is what Ekman says. He says, look at the word for son. If you look at the context and you look at the Greek word, it's the word that means the firstborn son who gets the inheritance. Paul is saying something very powerful here. He's saying it's not just the firstborn male son, but all men, all women, all Greeks, all Jews, all slave, all free, all of you have an inheritance in Christ that is the same. What he's saying there is so powerful. Do you know how radical this was in the first century? In the Greek family system, women didn't have any rights. Most men didn't marry until they were 30, and they usually married a woman who was 15 years old. Think about that. And women were just supposed to provide children and they didn't really have any rights. The Romans were better about their family system and rights for women and how women fit into that. But what Paul says here is so radical and amazing, even in Judaism, it's radical and amazing. So as Christians, can we say that we respect women? You better believe it. And if we really follow the word of God, I think we have a respect for women that even goes beyond where our culture is because we don't treat them as sexual objects. 
Think about that. We value black lives. Do you value black? How many of you value black lives? Now, most of you know we're involved with uh, Akron Community Transformation, which is a group of black and white pastors that got together and were breaking down the walls. When the Black Lives Matter movement first started, I stood with them. Let me tell you why. I have a number of my friends that have been pulled over for traffic stops that I know a white person would never be pulled over for in Northeast Ohio. Ivan, do I have permission to share freely? I remember when Ivan became a worship leader and we gave him a key to the building, he said, Joseph, I'm just afraid that someday the Hudson police are going to show up and say, what are you doing in this building because of my dark skin? And you've had it happen with you. We don't understand sometimes how people that are different from us see life or have experienced life. So when people say black lives matter, I say, yes, they do. And I understand why you're making a distinction. Now, in our statement on black lives matter, we start by saying that, and we talk about how black lives matter and how people have been disrespected, and it's time to bring healing. We also talk about how all lives matter in Christ. And that was Bishop Johnson's, an African-American pastor. He said, we need to put that in, all lives matter. I know that that's a trigger statement for some people, but it's true. I understand where a lot of black people are because I've heard their stories. We value the lives of our black brothers and sisters. Many have suffered rejection and persecution in our society, and I can understand why they feel undervalued. Does God value all lives? Yes, and that's what we say in our statement in black, uh, on Black Lives Matter. But we also condemn any people using violence and hate toward other people groups. Very interesting. In August of 2016, the Black Lives Matter group adopted a plank in their constitution, their statement of what they were doing that said that Israel was an apartheid nation that was a hater nation and doesn't have a right to exist. That's when I stopped talking about Black Lives Matter. Sorry. I'm going to end the meeting today by reading part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech because that's, that still resonates in my heart. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to read it now. If you read the whole speech, and if you haven't read it for a while, I'd encourage you to go back and read it. I think it's one of the most amazing documents. He says this, and he talks a lot about the injustices against what he calls the Negro. That was the language of the 60s. He said, no, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. We need to understand, let me just stop there and say, when there are people in our nation that are not being treated the way they should in the integrity and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to stand up on their behalf. And there weren't enough white pastors standing with Martin Luther King Jr. in the 1960s. That's why we decided to stop driving by each other's church and get into each other's lives in Akron Community Transformation. He said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulation, and some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. 
He says, continue to work with a faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi, go back to Alabama, go back to South Carolina, go back to Georgia, go back to Louisiana, and go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. Martin Luther King Jr., let me stop there and say, operated in a spirit of faith instead of unbelief. Where many of the movements are today is there is an entire unbelief. And I'm going to t- we're going to close today by talking about how to discern whether the, a movement or a group of people is operating in truth or falsehood according to the word of God and how you can know that. King goes on to say this, I say to you today, my friends, though even though we face difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It's a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even at the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day in Alabama, with its vicious racists, with his governor having his lips dripping with words of interposition and nullification, and that was Governor Wallace. Those of you that don't know your history, he was an out-and-out racist governor, and he changed later. He changed. King says, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. And I could go on there, but I've got to tell you, it's not a matter today with many organizations that are talking about justice for blacks, and these are white and black people together. It's not enough to have the dream of Martin Luther King. As a matter of fact, I I don't know if you know what's happening. Those of you that study history, historical revisionism is now vilifying King, saying that uh, he should not be listened to. And I've got to tell you, the only reason I think that's true is because he was based in the word of God. You can say whatever you want. I know he wasn't a perfect man, but that man had God's anointing on him. And my dream is the same dream that we will get together, not that we will create racist communities that try to eliminate other racial communities in the United States. How do you know that something is of the Lord or something is good or not? If people hate, it's not of the Lord. You can't hate and say that you are of the Lord. If it is mired in unforgiveness and bitterness, it cannot be of the Lord. Hear what I'm saying to you. Unforgiveness and bitterness will never get you anywhere where you need to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are people that are full of hatred and and bitterness and unforgiveness out there, and they need to have their hearts healed. I don't condemn them. I do condemn what they say, but I pray that they will come to know the Jesus that Martin Luther King Jr. knew and that I know because God can heal us. Some of us have had bad things happen to our lives. How many of you have had injustices? Almost all of us. 
We need to work at making the ground level like he talks about there, leveling things out so that people have opportunity. And there are ways to do that without hating and telling other people that they have no reason to exist. I also want to tell you that God has a design and a dream for every person born into this world. And nothing will stop that design or dream if you put your faith in him, even if a group of people come against you. Like Jeremiah. Remember what the Lord told Jeremiah? He said, the kings, the rulers, all of them are going to be against you. But I am with you. And I will put the words in your mouth. And we have people that have believed the lie that it's some other group that's keeping me down, or it's this or that. It's all... Folks need to look at their own heart and allow God to transform them. It's not really other people keeping them down as much as it is. They believe the lie of the devil, and they're still prisoners. And I'm talking about black, white, and everybody here. They are prisoners because of their own unforgiveness. I was talking to a black pastor a couple years ago, and he said to me, he said, you and I are on the same page. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, as long as people in my community have unforgiveness and bitterness toward whites, they're still slaves. Because you have to forgive. I don't want to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have been sexually abused in your life? By the time I was eight, I had three experiences that were bad. I haven't even told you about some of that. By age eight, somebody gave me the worst pornography you can ever imagine, and it messed me up so badly. That pornography wasn't on the internet, that there was no internet back then. I'm telling you, evil people exposed me to that that should have known better. But you know what? If I didn't forgive those people, they would still have the power to rule my life. And I've forgiven them. We need to forgive. And we need to release. Some of you need to release. I prayed with people that have fought in wars that have needed to forgive whole countries. Vietnam vets that have had to release the people of Vietnam or have had to release the people in America that spit on them and yelled at them when they came back. But until you really learn to forgive and have an undefendable heart, you won't be totally free. Do you know why Martin Luther King Jr. was so powerful? He, in the face of people with water cannons and guns and all sorts of other things, said to them, I don't hate you. I forgive you. You don't understand. I see that. He said the same thing Jesus did. Gandhi in India discovered the same thing. He studied the teaching of Jesus and took a nonviolent approach that transformed his country. And he said it was Jesus. He said, that's, that's who I'm looking at here. Think about that. Unless the church wakes up and in the season that we're in and starts moving in the right spirit. And the right spirit right now, in most cases, is the opposite spirit to what we're seeing out there. Can I take a little bit more time? Is this, is this hitting you in a good spot? God doesn't hate people ever, but he does hate things. And there are six, yea, as the King James says, even seven things he hates in Proverbs. Let's take a look at that. This is uh, what he says. There are six things the Lord hates, seven are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, 
hands that shed innocent blood. There's a time for self-defense, by the way. The Bible talks about that, and that's why he says innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And look at the last one, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. That's the NIV version. Uh, The word discord is used in other versions. It talks about dividing families in the King James, but the word there is probably best translated community. That's a good translation. There are people at work in our nation today that don't want what Martin Luther King Jr. said. They don't want a peaceful sitting down together of people from every race, tribe, language, and nation loving one another. They want to use race as a lever. And they want to try to somehow make other issues like gender a lever. Some of you that love history, go back and read Herbert Marcuse from the 1950s and 60s, who said, we will never have a Marxist revolution in the United States unless we use gender. And if we can do that, we can dislodge Christian ethics and Christian belief and establish a Marxist state in America. You want some documentation on that? I can give it to you, but you can find it online. By the way, you won't, probably won't get that in your history class at the university. There are people that have a vested interest in stirring up community. I really believe that not all, but a lot of our press, conservative press and liberal press, are caught in this right now. And they are stirring up the hearts of people against one another. Sometimes they have truth, but the spirit that drives them, even though their truth is partial, is a spirit of discord instead of a spirit of unity that pulls people together. You need to be careful. Some of you said to me, I don't know what it is. The news is not the news anymore. When I watch the news, it weighs me down. Do you know why? There's an anointing on that news. Just like there's an anointing on music. And it's not all God's anointing. Sometimes it's demonic anointing. The Bible's very clear. It says in the last days, some people will follow things taught by demons. First Timothy. There's demon logic out there, and demon logic is always based in hate, division, destruction, despair, and everything else. These are the spirits that are coming against our country. These are the spirits that are opposing the true man and woman of God in the church today. What the Lord is saying to us today is we need to learn to walk with integrity, to have total love, and yet speak the truth and love. Can I tell you that that can only be accomplished through supernatural means? It's got to be supernatural. The world needs us to rise up and speak the truth, and speak the truth and love in the time that we're in. Things that we need to learn to survive in this season, I'll close with this. Number one, we're in a spiritual war. Don't fight spiritual wars with carnal weapons. There are a lot of people that call themselves Christians and they're trying to come up with a a non-spiritual solution to a spiritual problem. Folks, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I don't think our government can solve most of these problems. We need a revival. We need a spiritual awakening in America. No political movement or organization can adequately express the heart of Jesus. 
only the church of Jesus Christ. Christians need to learn to stop being bought up by other organizations. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'll tell you that right now. I don't trust either party. They're two heads of the same coin, and I'll say it right now, right here. Neither of them has earned my respect. I supported, I gave $500 to one Democratic candidate that ran in this area because they were a pro-life Democrat, and they had to drop out of the race because of all of the heat that was put on them by the Democratic Party. So I take things on a case-by-case basis, but I don't have much hope in, in politics. I have a lot of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. The primary spirits operating in America are the Antichrist spirit and a spirit of deception. That is why we must cling to what is good and true. The third thing is you will not fit into the world system. Let me say that again. You're never, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you will never fit into the world system. Are you okay with that? You've got to be, no matter what you do. Jesus didn't fit in either. Did Jesus do anything wrong, by the way? I always wonder what it would be like to grow up in Jesus' family, have the perfect brother. Okay? And they killed him. The world doesn't tolerate, you know, people like that that love unconditionally. Sorry, but I'm just telling you the truth. But we need to be okay with that. We're in a moment in time when we need more than ever to cling to good and hate evil. Things we need to know. Jesus told us that people would hate us, literally all nations. He says that in Matthew 24 and Luke 17. We need to move in the opposite spirit in the world. What does that mean? That we love in every circumstance. You can tell whether or not your heart is caught up in another movement or ism if you're in a conversation and somebody gets under your skin and you get angry with them. There's something in you in the flesh that's still preventing you from loving because we need to love in every situation. That's hard to do. That's a frontier for me right now. Let me tell you what I found out in most conversations. Let me give you a little clue. When I sit down and start talking about gender, and I used to do this all the time when I worked on university campuses and worked with young people, they want to talk about this. And I'd sit down with them. Most of the time, it's not something that is esoteric knowledge out here. They're talking about their own life. If I react to what I'm saying instead of listening to them and going, tell me your experience, why do you feel that way? Do you know it's okay as Christians to listen to other people? Sometimes not even to say a thing and just love them and say, thank you for sharing that. I'm so sorry. Can I tell you my experience in some of the, I, some of the most beloved people in my life have been gay people. It may be a scandal to hear you say that. I mean, some of the most wonderful people, two of the guys in my wedding were gay my wedding party. I didn't know it at the time. I found out later. Well, I knew one had struggled with it, but as I talk to these people over the years, this is just my experience. This is not a scientific study. Probably over 80% of them were terribly sexually abused. And for them, it wasn't in an academic situation where we were going to debate about gender. I needed to listen to the story of the pain of their life. And when you do that, when you love people and you listen to them and you identify with their pain and say, I don't, I don't agree with where you're coming out here. I think you're going to do more damage to your soul, but I understand why you're going the way that you're going. And I'm going to pray for you. And I hope someday you can join me at the foot of the cross because I struggle with other sins just like you struggle with this. And if you stand with me and help me, I'll stand with you and help you. One of the reasons why nobody wants to listen to Christians is because we're hypocrites. 
We talk a lot about homosexuality, but we don't talk about heterosexual sin in the church. And it's not either or, it's, it's, there's a lot of sin. We're all broken. We all need help. The ground at the cross is level. Excuse me for taking a little extra time, but I really feel like this is one of the most important messages that I've done in a long time. We need to hear this. State truth in a positive way by attacking the problem and not people. The minute that you start putting a label on somebody, you've lost the, there's no discussion. You know what Jesus does? He takes people that are out and out sinners and he says, so where's that group of people that was out to uh, condemn you and throw stones at you? Neither do I. But you know what? Don't go, don't continue in the sin that you're doing. It's going to savage your soul. People have asked me recently, and I'll be putting out, those of you that signed up for the Activision page, I'm putting out something on transgender this week. I know that's hard for a lot of people. But I talked to some of the people, and I haven't had as many conversations with them as I have other parts of the gay, the LGBTQ community. But I talked to some of them, and they're just some of the things they've experienced will break your heart. And they need people to love them and tell them about the truth of Jesus. But I can still, even though I feel that way about them, say that I think it's child abuse to give hormones to kids before they have come to age of adulthood. And I stand with the some of the studies, I'll give you some of the studies that have come out on this. Johns Hopkins did the best study about how this is ruining the lives of children. Scientifically, I know that after people have that treatment and surgery, they even have a higher incidence of suicide. It's not working. But people are reacting because of the things they've experienced. And we can yell at them and condemn them, or we can listen to them and try to persuade them that there's a better way. We're going to have a man here, hopefully next year, who is preaching all around the world, who used to live a gay lifestyle, and God healed him and transformed him. He has three beautiful children, a lovely wife, and he is a minister of the gospel. He's one of the most hated men on the planet. People are out to get him. They don't want him to share that story. It's not, oh, that's okay for you and that's okay for me. It's, I don't want your story to be heard with him. We need to be equipped to tell people why you love God's design for marriage instead of telling people they're wrong and how they behave. Don't expect world people, worldly people to act like Christians. Why should we expect people that aren't followers of Jesus to act like Christians? That's a problem with Christians. We get mad at people that don't act, that don't act like us. Seek to understand them before you seek to be understood by them. This is out of the seven habits of highly effective people, and I think it's really good. We need to learn to listen to people and understand them before we try to get them to understand what we believe. And finally, if you've been living under the intimidation of the Antichrist spirit or the spirit of deception, it's time to come out from under. I know a lot of Christians that just have kept their mouth shut and they won't speak because they're afraid in the marketplace. You can't live there. It's time to come out from under that. 
It was about 10 years ago, the Lord led me to 2 Timothy 3, and he says, I want to tell you about the people you're going to pastor in the next season. Now, don't get offended here. The Lord said this to me, and I'm th- I think I'm talking about the people out there that are coming in. Some of you, this, this, I know this is the way I used to be. He says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Are we seeing this? Not lovers of the good. Not, they're not lovers of the good. Remember, we're supposed to cling to that which is good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That sums up our society. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. These are the people we live with, folks. These are the people that God has called us to witness to. And I want to say something. If you want to talk about moving in the opposite spirit, turn all those around. People will be lovers of God that put other people before themselves. People will be people that use money to bless people rather than control. Instead of being boastful, people will be humble. Talk about moving in the opposite spirit. If you want to know what's motivating a group of people or an ism or a belief, if you see these things, this is demon logic. It's not the logic of the Lord, and we need to love those people into truth. Does that make sense? We need to start thinking this way. I want us to just take a moment and bow your heads, and I want you to think before we respond to the Lord this morning. I don't know about you, but all week long as I've been putting this message together, looking at the word, listening to the Lord, I've had to do some repenting. And I think there are probably things that the Holy Spirit outlined to your heart today. And you need to say, Lord, it's time to ask your forgiveness. Can we just take a moment and do that between you and the Lord? He hears the thoughts of your heart. Just tell him right now in your thoughts, in your mind. Say, Lord, forgive me. I have been intolerant. Lord, I've been caught up by other things. Lord, I've been angry with people instead of loving them. Lord, I've not forgiven people. Instead, I've I've been angry because they're acting the way that they are. Lord, I've sought to be understood before I sought to understand others. And because of that, people don't want to listen to me. Lord, just hear our hearts right now. Forgive us. Forgive us, O Lord. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, the world could use a bunch of Martin Luther King Juniors. The the world could use a lot of people that look a lot more like Jesus. Help us, O God, in this hour to speak love and truth, to cling to that which is good, to hate what is evil, but never to hate people. Lord, we need your help. I pray that you would reform the church and that you would give us a voice, Lord, that we have lost. Help us, O God, in this hour to speak truth and love. Can we stand together? I want to ask a very honest question. How many of you feel like you have come under that intimidating spirit and it's caused you to be silent? I felt like the Lord wanted me to lead us in a confession this morning. And if you will agree with me, I'm going to give you the prayer, and we're going to make that confession together. We're going to ask the Lord to break the influence 
of those spirits that have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit to be broken over our minds and over our hearts. So if you can agree with me, just let's repeat this prayer together. Do it boldly if you're going to do it. Heavenly Father, I come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I recognize that there are unclean, ungodly spirits in the world. And I renounce any spirit that is contrary to the truth of Jesus Christ. I renounce the impact of the Antichrist spirit. And I throw off any deception that has come against me. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you now. Heavenly Father, let you can lift your voices with me if you want. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we just come. Lord, we have made that confession right now. And Father, the church has been silent, has not spoken out. I think for many of us, Lord, we haven't known what to say. Things have gotten so bad so quickly. There's so many strident voices and, and voices out there that are intimidating. But right now, as we have confessed, we, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, throw off the influence of godlessness, unbelief, the Antichrist spirit, Lord, all those things that would come against the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would release people uh, based on what they said this morning, that you would free them to love and that you would free them to speak truth like never before, that the power of your Holy Spirit would fall upon them, God. Help us, Lord, to be a voice of reason and a voice of love in the world that we live in. And I pray, Lord, that those that are caught up, Lord, in the hate movements, whatever they are, Lord, I pray that you would have mercy on them and that you would turn their hearts. Lord, I pray that we would hear, Father, in the next couple years, many testimonies of people saying, I was a hater and I came to Christ and I realized that I can't live there. That's I can't live in unforgiveness. I can't live in bitterness. I can't live in hate. Lord, I pray that you would make us salt and light in the world, that we could make a difference wherever we go, whatever we do. Help us, Lord, to know when the people around us, God, are angry or whatever, help us to be people that bring peace and just listen to their hearts, even if we don't agree with them, and to tend their hearts and to show them the love of Christ. Because then, Lord, I think the world's going to want to know our Savior. Help us, O oh God. Lord, just let these words resound in our heart. Speak more to us about this, we pray. And Father, as we go out of these doors, I just pray that your hand would rest on each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.